pine for years on this cedar still a lapidary with a rarest jewel an amber emerald how can this gem be a half my age her book is on an earlier page oh world I'm old but my heart's no Framed in sassy bands Makes me want to hang myself in effigy I can talk to anyone But with her eyes my tongue she's so damn fine I can never bridge this gap our desire will never overlap she'll never be mine why risk our friendship to Respond to her sex appeal. She knows she's as potent as young Mescal. Oh, this girl is driven as a high chaparral, but that's creepy as hell. We are here. This is Awake to Freedom. I'm Eric James. I am here with Mr. Wade Rowland, and this is part three. We're not even going to say parts anymore. We're just going to say <laughs> continuing, continuing conversations. <laughs> the continuing saga. <laughs> so we're going to turn it over to Wade now and get back into this, uh, this amazing story. So here we go. All right. Yeah, so last time um, I, I just... Uh, uh, Listen to the to last week or last time's uh, podcast, and basically, I was sort of recounting uh, all these various uh, moments of kismet and great fortune that sort of have befallen um, um, Earl as a character uh, on this whole journey. And uh, yeah, I was in the middle of, of a story about meeting the the um, interminable Christabel Lynn, <laughs> my wonderful uh, uh, fiddle player. And uh, so yeah, like like many of these sort of like gifts from heaven and and um, super fortunate events, I. Uh, as I was saying, I was sitting at a 
at the Tigris pub and and hoping that someone would, uh, a pretty girl would come in to sit down on the stool that was the only stool in the bar, which of course was sitting, uh, was right next to me. And, and as I said, yes, this beautiful Asian woman who, uh, with a New Zealand accent comes, uh, bustling in and plops down next to me. And, uh, we start talking and sure enough, she'd lived here in the area before while she was studying at UT and, and of course we're in this nice conversation she tells I ask her what she was studying and she was studying violin so of course my my interest was even more piqued and but she'd moved away and I asked her about that and she'd moved away to Vienna and to continue her study, uh, her violin studies. So she got a master's at the University of Vienna and uh, and then stayed an extra and year all, in Vienna. Wait, not to interrupt, but all yeah. these accomplishments, what, how, how old was she when you met her? Uh, I think she's 30. 30? Yeah, so... Very accomplished, early, young. Yeah, yeah, wow. exactly. Amazing. And she stayed an extra year in Vienna to play for the Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra. Okay. And then, so my my jaws on the floor at this point, you know, like oh my god, who is this? Who is this? Like, uh, you know, at this point, like uh, I'm like oh my god, this woman is so far beyond my like reach that I I'm almost embarrassed <laughs> to even bring up Earl at this point, and. Uh, and of course, inevitably, like, what are you doing back in Austin? Like, why aren't you in, you know, Moscow or something now? And apparently she'd fallen in love with Austin while she was uh, going to school here and found out that there was an opening at the Austin Opera and auditioned and got a job basically playing for the Pitt Orchestra. So she's got a regular gig here. It she pays still, really well. Does yeah. she still do that to this day? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Great. So she's been doing that for like four years or so. And, wow. Uh, and then plays for the symphony as well. And, you know, was in a play at Zach Scott Theater, you know, uh, performing and singing. And she even had a couple of lines, you know, wow, like wow. this woman is so incredibly talented. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful she can see user talents. Mm. Mm, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, and there support are herself. That, there are people that get to use their passions and talents. It, they're very limited. Yeah. But it's awesome when you know somebody oh that God. gets to, you know? It's yeah. It's really cool. And by her own steam, like, right. and, and, and like, since this meeting, uh, of course, I've talked to her mother, and her mother said, like, I, I had nothing to do with this. It's all her. Wow. I didn't tell her to play violin. I didn't. Wow. Like, I just wanted to live my life, you know, and she, she lived hers, and this is what she did. <laughs> wow. I'm like, oh my God. So. <laughs> if, if, if she was American, it would have been drilled in her head by some fanatic parent, you know, to be a lawyer or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, or, you know, you've got to play violin since you're three because yeah. you've got a perfect pitch. Yeah. Something crazy. Which she does. She has perfect pitch. Wow. Yeah, that's the. So, anyway, so, yeah, I'm like, oh, my God, this woman's so far beyond my reach. And even though, of course, I've been looking for a violin player ever since I started writing these songs because they're so solidly country and, mm-hmm. and kind of Hank Williams-style country or Roots country style or something, it just, yeah, I can keep, I, could, I, I continued to hear violins behind it. And... Uh, um. So yeah, she's like, yeah, so I play for the opera and I have this gig playing flamenco music regularly, but I, you know, play weddings and, you know, play a lot of Bach and Mozart at weddings and stuff like that. And and then she says, but what I really want to do and what I really love to do is play country music and I don't have an outlet for that. At which point you fell over in your chair. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I could not say something at that point. Right. So, of course, I told her about Earl. And lo and behold, her best friend is a woman named Jessica Jin, who was the spearhead and founder and everything of this movement called 
Cox, not Glocks. Thing. Oh, the big protest. <laughs> exactly. Or the rally. That's not a protest. Well, yeah, it was, well, a, it was a protest. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a full-on thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 it was cool. So basically what happened at the University of Texas uh, um, right around like about a, six months or a year before I met Christabel is the, uh, or actually not even that long, it, was, it had only been months, uh, the powers that be decided that it would be okay to carry, have an open carry on the campus of the University of Texas, where if anybody knows anything, Charles Whitman, the first <laughs> mass murderer uh, in this country, shot a bunch of people from the tower. So, yep. you know, there's more levels than just the current debate about gun control that are salient here at the University of Texas. Right. About, like, letting people carry gun- guns around openly. So, and tragically and hysterically, on the same books is a law that forbids women from, or anyone, from openly carrying a, a sex toy, a dildo, on campus. So I you can... Who, I want to know who thought of this law. <laughs> exactly. Well, somebody had to be carrying a and dildo And how many around. universities have this law? <laughs> exactly. So it's okay. not lawful. You can get arrested for carrying a dildo openly, but you cannot get arrested for openly carrying licensed, you know, of course, but right. you have to assume that the thing's licensed when you see somebody with it on your hip. Right. But anyway, uh, so basically they bought thousands of dildos and the day that this bill passed and, you know, went into effect for the open carry, everybody had dildos hanging out of their <laughs> backpacks and hanging off of their hips and and in holsters and yeah. everything. So Christabel, you know, back to the story, of course, is like, this Earl does not offend me at all. In fact, I think it's hilarious. Um, I would love to play with you. And a week later, she was on stage with me. Wow. And has been ever since. Yeah. She keeps, keeps on going. So, <coughs> so, just these people either responding to the story, the struggle about uh, prostate cancer, or the sort of subversive sexual message um, about, you know, Earl's, Earl in this weird way has become, you know, this sort of male voice against chauvinism. Yeah. Uh, uh, and for feminism, which is, you know, anti-chauvinism, you know? So, uh, yeah, in one way or the uh, another, people have just responded to these things that, of course, I know people share, but I didn't anticipate that people would Um, be touched because because of what I did with the message you know turned it into this song and turned it into this persona and you know sort of found a way to sort of poke fun at at you know this um, uh, setback in my life and a tragedy and you know potentially fatal loss obstacle that men face because they have this gland in their body. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, doctors, they say medically, I mean, well, we, I think we said it before, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if men live long enough, that's what will kill us. If nothing mm-hmm. else gets us the prostate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. we have a lot of fun down there when we're young, but... Exactly. It comes back to haunt us. Exactly. <laughs> Eventually, it comes back to haunt us. Our fun bag. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow. <laughs> so, so basically, I was on this trajectory where a lot of very talented people were um, 
stepping up and you know contributing the suit yeah um, you know contributing their talent like Christabel and then my friend Todd Meehan who um, you know created a whole set of characters that are sort of part of Earl's branding that are these ridiculous sort of stick figures that wear genital costumes <laughs> it's, you have to see it to understand it yeah 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 but you know and Todd painted this array of these characters all over my the guitar that I play on stage and simultaneously I am consciously or increasingly consciously understanding that I'm on a downward trajectory personally um, that I have this thing that I've created that's kind of gaining legs beyond my efforts, you know, and and gaining support um, beyond my expectations. And yeah, I was just becoming increasingly aware that I was living this lifestyle that ultimately was very self-destructive and um, in what form? Uh, alcohol drinking then drinking okay. drinking and and drinking as a way to try and combat uh, depression yeah self-medicating yeah, yeah and self-medicating uh, beyond, you know, beyond Earl, I was also, you know, tamping down the fears and anger and and, and sadness about um, my prostate cancer with alcohol as well, or using it as an excuse at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I always agree with you because I'm thinking in my head, oh yeah, yeah I've made excuses. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made that same excuse myself. Yep. And the excuse was no longer holding water to me. Yeah. Like, I couldn't sustain that lie internally any longer. I was starting to gain some hope. You know, here's this thing that people want to hear, and, 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 uh, uh, and here I am, you know, you know getting so drunk on stage I can't remember my lyrics <laughs> oh and right. uh, um, or just drinking myself just self-destructively drinking and doing things like driving home drunk and you know just things that were counter to all of the sort of messages of love and um compassion that I'm singing in my songs so um, and it didn't happen right away it took me a good long time to 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 finally um, rise to the occasion and seek help yeah but um, in the meantime um once again, Obamacare um, and um, since I was already enrolled with, with the Affordable Care Act, once I became a musician, I realized that there was this amazing resource at my disposable at, at my disposable at my <laughs> disposal here in this town, very unique to Austin, uh, called the Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. And so um, they provide support in addition to, um, like, supplemental to Obamacare, helping uh, musicians uh, cover the premiums. Uh, um, 
Yeah, I've, I've looked into some of it, and it is pretty amazing. It's incredible. It is really cool. Yeah. They have, I mean, and all sorts of auxiliary services, yes. like hearing clinics. They fix you up with discount earplugs to protect your hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, blood screenings for hepatitis. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's numerous. Just yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. So I was taking advantage of that and and aware that there's another component uh, to HAM called the Sims Foundation um, or related to HAM or sister organizations or whatever um, that f- focus on mental health. Mm. And I, as I was getting myself prepared to try and quit drinking... I actually even went to my uh, general practitioner and got a prescription for that uh, naloxone, or I can't remember what the name of the drug is, but it's a a drug that people are taking uh, currently that curbs the craving for alcohol. Really? Yeah. It's um, not the one that makes you throw up if you no, have alcohol. No, I, no, I know no. they use that for years. That's yeah, yeah. This is a new thing, actually. It's not uh, an abuse is the one that you're talking about. That yeah. If you take it, yes. it'll just basically yes, make your body reject it. Yeah. This one, you actually continue to drink, but if you're taking the drug, for some reason, you don't want to be drunk anymore. Uh-huh. And like a psychological it's yeah it does something I don't know yeah so I had a prescription for this and I was you know hesitant to start taking it because I know it's a new drug and it's that's doing some pretty complicated stuff in your brain yeah yeah and you know I'm and you know I was nervous about that but um um you know, part of me I don't I don't think was quite ready to quit. <clears throat> so, you know, I sat on that prescription for a good while, but you know, it just it just kept weighing on me. Um I and you know had contact with a friend who was having difficulties with alcohol, which was a real wake up call. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of seeing firsthand, like, oh dear, like, this is where I'm headed if I continue on with this, you know, having to drink in the morning instead of, you know. Now, can we just take a time out and yeah. just agree that alcohol can be a motherfucker oh, it's for some people? Oh, yeah. It can get yeah. us on all, it just, it, all the wrong decisions. Well, and, just that, but the way it works, you know, I watched, like, my dad a skinny man his whole life, work in the yard and drink six, seven, eight beers throughout the day doing his yard work. Right. Fine. Fine. Yeah. I watched my mom battle with alcoholism off and on. I watched myself going down that road because I was just wanted to party and drink beer and then I see my... But it just affects people on so many damn levels. Psychologically. I used to plan my days around alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get off at this time, and I know I can get this much, and then we've got to go somewhere tonight, so I know how many drinks. I mean, who the hell does that, you know? Right. Okay, sorry to get in there. No, but, no, but, no, but totally. Yeah, it just, you know, trips me out on. And then some people, it's not a problem at all. Yeah, 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 and I totally, I mean, I admire or envy. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not, you know, it's somewhere in the mix there. Well, now I don't care like, anymore because yeah. I'm retired from drinking. Yeah, I don't, yeah, really, I don't use this, so I just, yeah, I'm retired. Yeah, yeah. That chapter's gone, so I look at people and whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I can't even, yeah, it's hard for me to envy it because I don't think I even ever had that experience. Right. Like, I don't know, I can't relate to it. No. I, like, have two drinks and then not drink anymore? Like, Unheard of. Yeah, like <laughs> we're gonna be here for four more hours. Like I could, you know, that's eight drinks at least. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And, uh, but, yeah, I just couldn't wrap my head around that. And I, you know, it was just becoming uh, uh, increasingly uh, obvious that that it was affecting my life. And yeah. And you know, like like I said, the 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 mirror back from my friend and. Um, uh, so finally, 
Um, I don't remember exactly what triggered it. I think I was thinking about... Well, I was just getting sick of it. There wasn't really much that, which was great. I'm I'm glad it didn't have to be a DUI or anything like that to to precipitate this decision. Uh, I basically just was sick and tired of doing it. So I called the Sims Foundation and, you know, let them know what my intentions were and that I was, I thought I was having trouble with alcohol and, and, uh, and would appreciate some help, you know, finding out what kind of, you know, whether there was outpatient services or whatnot that I could take advantage of. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I'd made the decision not to drink anymore a hundred times in the last hundred days, you know. And, you know, I'd be shit-faced by ten. You know, and, you know, patting myself on the back all the while for, you know, never drinking earlier than the afternoon, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And we make all these Whatever, yeah, exactly. Sure, I woke up at noon, but, you know. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, waited a whole four hours after that. (laughs) I did a few things. Yeah, I got some stuff done before I had to, you know, get the the ball rolling again. And, you know, like, I was showing up to radiation treatments drunk. Like, drunk. (laughs) Like, they're checking my blood pressure, and they're like, have you had any drinks with me? No, what? Yeah, <laughs> 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 those two pearls that I had at bowling, uh, you know, haven't affected me at all. Um, so, and just the contradictions. Like I, I knew I was killing myself as I'm seeking this help to prolong my life, and. The, yeah, the schism there was just hard, too hard for my my rational mind to 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 rationalize that. So, um, so I called them up and you know told them what my intentions were, and basically they're like, "Well, we're more than happy to help you. You know, we're definitely committed to that, but uh, we will not treat anyone." Uh, for alcohol unless they've gone through a detox. Oh, okay, they have... All right. Yeah. They don't know... Yeah. Yeah. I could sit there and tell you that I only drink four beers a day and, you know, not mention the bottle of whiskey that I'm washing down. Right. So I get that. So, yeah, they they understand that... And that all... and Plus it puts a little pressure on you, like, hey, if you're going to do it, that's what you got to do to start it. I have to really do this. I have to really do this. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wasn't quite ready for that, and I wasn't quite ready to quit that day. Uh, but by the end of the day, they had a bed for me. And so <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I'm starting right now. So that was December 5th, uh, uh, about a, roughly a year and a half ago. Um, and, you know, I was... By that night, I, you know, about 11 or 12, I rolled in there, and I hadn't had a drink that day at all, um, uh, so I actually showed up sober, <laughs> and uh, 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 they checked me into a place called Texas Star Recovery, and uh, I stayed there for three days, and uh yeah. Um, I was not sure what was going to happen, you know, whether I was going to go into withdrawal, whether I was, you know, going to have classic DTs, and that's, of course, why um, Sims Foundation insists on that, because you can die of a heart attack from just the uh, delirium tremens. Yeah. Nasty, nasty nasty poison stuff, man. Poison. It's It's just full-up poison, yeah. Poison. I'm gonna say poison. Some people can handle the poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but 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 truly poison. Yeah, yeah. It is because even if you're handling it in a sobriety level, yeah. it's still messing with your body. Eternally yeah, it destroys. Because... Yeah, it's just like these cigarettes that I smoke are poison. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know. exactly. So, uh, 
And yeah, that's next on the agenda. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, um, and yeah, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And, you know, I woke up the next day and it was really nice. Basically, it was really not busy at all uh, down there. Um, So, you know, it wasn't a full house. And I imagine... You know, it's just a little more relaxed. It's not like it's not like they were lax in their duties or anything, but you know, the staff wasn't jumping through their own assholes to get everything done. You know, right, right. So things were chill and nice. That's and, nice, yeah. You know, they let me bring my guitar there because oh. I wanted to rehearse and and uh, and it turns out, of course, I, you know, I was. The, I wasn't the youngest person there, but, like, I was, um, there was only one person younger than me, and he was 20, and then everybody else was, you know, at least 60 or above, <laughs> so, yeah. so it was, you know, these old folks in there, and, and, you know, of course, they're wondering why I'm not having, you know, they had all been on Valium for the first week that they had been there because they were all hardcore, you know, bottle of day drinkers. And, you know, who's this kid who, like, gets up the first morning, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed? I killed a a crossword puzzle that morning. Like, (laughs) it was one of those weird, like, it just so happened I knew all the clues, but I sat down, and it was like the paper was open. I just went... (laughs) <laughs> so everybody in the place is like who is this like freak show <laughs> and then I got my guitar out and start singing these songs about you know kissing taints and blowjobs and <laughs> so by the end of the three days I was basically the star of the of the detox and they were having me sing to the clients every night and it was very sweet and it felt great you know I was like oh man what a turn I've taken here like what you know like what an experience and what a solid reinforcement that I'm making the right choice like right there wasn't any you know it's a personal choice yeah you know I I don't want to sit here and say right Right, you have to. No, you no, did the but right I, thing, Wade. Yeah, I did it <laughs> no, for me. Because, it but, was for me, yeah. Yeah, it's a very personal thing. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah. yeah. It's a motherfucker. It, yeah. Yeah. It was it was and uh and for whatever reason I had the struggle before I quit. Um I know a lot of people who, you know, have a real difficulty once they've quit and you know relapse uh, like serially yeah yeah or you know just feel it really hard you know can't be around it you know but um also i'm kind of in these circumstances where i can't really i can't really entertain that sort of anxiety really uh, because if I'm going to do what I've been doing I need to be in bars and I need to be around drinking and um, I need to be able to not be affected by it and you know I guess um, uh, well my conviction I, I was the decision that I made was was my own you know there was nobody telling me that I had to do any of this and I was doing it so so and it's painfully clear that you know quitting drinking was what I needed to do personally you know, everybody around me agrees. Nobody is like, oh, no, Wade should have quit, kept drinking. <laughs> no one will say that. Like, and and part of the reason is because I, you know, it's I haven't had to 
curtail my activities at all. Like, you know, right. I do, like... And that, I, so I, I look at those as blessings, because I feel yeah. the same way as you do in that. Yeah. I, yeah. I can be around it, um, same thing, playing in bars and, yeah. and stuff. It doesn't bother me. It, like I say, I always use the word retirement. Yeah. Um, and because life to me is always like chapters. We have chapters in life, mm-hmm. our childhood, whatever we go through, whatever we go through. And I mm-hmm. just call that a chapter of my life now. I feel sorry yeah. for uh, people with alcohol problems that, that, that get sober and then crave it. I, 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 it's yeah, just another one of those things where alcohol just fucks with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's insidious. And, and, and that sucks because I've, you and me share the feeling like, it sounds like, you know. Like, I just, I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. Like, right. Literally. It's yeah. like our mind just opens up and we see everything right. that happened, whatever we were embarrassed or however we felt about ourselves. And yeah. in that split second, we're like, nothing, nah. Yeah. I'm not going there. And it's weird. I mean, it's the power that it used to have over me. Mm. Like, I've even, one time I mistook a, you know, a glass of champagne for a glass of water that I'd set down. I picked it up and I, you know, I just slugged it down because I was super thirsty. And, um, you know, got that first mouthful and realized what it was. And I didn't like have to spit it out dramatically or freak out or anything. Nor did it like make me go, Oh my God, I've drank now. Like I'm cursed. cursed. Yeah. (laughs) Or, you know, or fuck. Like, why can't I just continue drinking this? I want more now, now, now. Yeah. None of those feelings happened. I was yeah. just like, oops, that was champagne. Ha <laughs> ha. Where's my water? You know, right. and got my water and drank that the rest of the night. And like, I like, yeah. I, oh yeah. And one of the, my favorite bartender, good old Kelsey, she mistakenly made me a mocktail with some alcohol in it. I had one sip of it didn't taste whatever she'd put in it and you know she took it away because she realized once she uh, like set it down and was like wait a minute oh shit i put a third of a shot of blah into that yeah. you know big drink that has a whole bunch of juice in it so of course i didn't taste it yeah and you know i didn't um you know the, some people might get really pissed off at her or you know or again have all the sort of like physical reactions that are real like that's not some sort of mocked up thing or anything or something to um yeah a moral failing or something to make fun of or anything it's just like wow like yeah like drug addicts talk about or cocaine people who shoot cocaine apparently like when they have this like body response where like when they score some coke when they've been out Mm -hmm. of it for a while they'll get so excited they basically they empty their bowels because you know the The excitement the excitement and also the like of course cocaine's always cut with baby laxatives so just Uh, the anticipatory uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah isn't that weird that's really weird yeah but I can kind of relate to it in a way you know because of you know like back when I was in that cycle of craving when I you know like if somebody gave me a drink it was like okay yeah now I've had a sip like why not the bottle you know why not until I can't yeah I can't tell you why this time was the time I still can't say that but I'm just blessed and thankful yeah very 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 thankful and and i mean to be fair i had um had uh the whole experience and when i was young with um my father he got sober i think we talked about the first podcast yeah Yeah, my brother and everything so i you know i had the five years of sobriety and then the 14 years of sobriety and you know so i i once once my brain was like you're not you know this is not normal anymore wade i couldn't not listen to it i right. had too much knowledge yep i couldn't deny it um so 
so yeah, I I finally um, uh, just 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 under a year and a half ago, I I, I checked into the detox. And, uh, uh, and I've been sober ever since. Um, and you know, I I personally go to AA. I find it. Um, a good touchstone. It's a yeah. good way to remind myself yeah. what I've got beautiful to do and why I'm why I give a shit about staying sober and you oh, know that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's a great. It's yeah. a great. It's a great uh, resource for that. And because it's such an autonomous organization, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not joining Weight Watchers or anything. Right. It's like, right. you know, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's no dues or, you know, right. there's no sign up list or anything. It's just, you no, I have or a, you don't. I have a lot of friends in California in sobriety mm-hmm. groups, AA, yeah, coffee yeah. club groups, yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful, man. It's people just being good people working together through their, their problems, man. Or not problems, just, you know, shit that we, I mean, I probably used alcohol, you know, I think back just to kind of, well, it, it fogs your mind, but yeah. for me personally it was just, I don't know if you're scared to grow up or just scared mm. of growing up. Think, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I was mature and I was growing up and I was doing things, but I still, and when I drank, I thought. I was 20 years old. That you was know? part of it for me, too, yeah. My ego was there, man. Yeah. It just was, I was cool yeah. in my head. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. It's part of a mystique, too, yeah, and sort of like, here I've, yeah, I kind of supported the whole, like, yeah, I beat cancer, I'm this old guy. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> I... I should be drinking. And yeah, and actually I have a song about, uh, um, it's called, uh, uncertain death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically it, it was a song that I wrote obviously in the, in the midst of, of that sort of mindset where I was like, well, um, I, as soon as I realized that I'd beaten death, I realized that that I had another death. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And in a weird and kind of morbid way, I was sort of grabbing on to that second death, <laughs> and sort of controlling it in a way, or like it was this sort of like uh, I've grab the bull by the horns I beat death once and now watch me uh, taunt death yeah by you know not giving a fuck um yeah I can see how you could do that yeah and and I, and I kind of rode that way for a I little mean, see while the mind would go like that yeah stuff. exactly it was a total justification like yeah walk, you know, <laughs> exactly kind of yeah. Up, and, you know yeah yeah and you know Get that feeling like, well, now I'm never gonna die. Yeah, and <laughs> and it's a very very direct um, response to the cancer, since cancer does basically feed on sugars, and alcohol is basically refined yeah. sugar. <laughs> so, so I'm you know like throwing cancer food after the cancer. So, um, very very foolhardy, but. Um, yeah, in my mind, very brave. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. Um, so, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd gotten beyond that, and, um, and, and it realized before I'd quit that not only was I going to be able to continue living the true rebellious life that I was living, as in, you know, singing these kind of mildly subversive songs <laughs> and kind of taking on more and more of the Earl persona into my own self. Um, and 
I think um, like sometime three or four years after I've and certainly once I uh, beat cancer the second time um, uh, I started bringing Earl's personality more into myself and uh, I think uh, um It was basically a process of gaining confidence through expressing my alter ego, um, saying the things that I've always wanted to say, um, and doing the things I've always wanted to do, but through this mask. And, you know, at when I first started doing the role thing, I mean, I literally dressed like a skate punk <laughs> like you know cargo shorts and t-shirts and and welder hats you know and and I started you know buying clothes to be Earl when I needed to be Earl these you know like hyper country pearl snaps and you know stuff like that cowboy hats and boots and before long, I guess I just started feeling more comfortable in that alter ego because the alter ego actually, I think, in the end is more the authentic me than the me I was living. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This, yeah, rudderless, <laughs> you know... Uh, trying to get through this creative world, you know, that I'm trying to live in, trying to, you know, make something and do something creative, um, but still, but I hadn't committed fully, and Earl basically gave me an avenue to commit fully to my art, and actually, um, start to even think of myself as an artist and I mean again many people I, I needed a lot of justification and verification validation um, <laughs> uh, but there were people to do that and and stepped up you know like Darcy who introduced us yeah, uh, yeah. Darcy Fromholz like she's one of the first people that I actually played any of my Earl songs to. Oh, and uh, um, and you know, I respect Darcy's um, uh, uh, music sense implicitly, um, yeah, because of her experiences and her life. Um, Yes, I'm gonna get her on a podcast. Yeah, she's. She, I'm sure she's got some amazing stories. Yeah, she knows music. And yeah, she knows people. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and she actually took one of my very first songs and like, like, she it was the theme song of her uh, bachelorette party. <laughs> <laughs> it's a song called "Where Did the Sluts Go." Oh yes, <laughs> I heard that one. And uh, yeah, it was like, so her um, validation Christabel's validation as a professional musician had a lot to do with uh, with this transformation and um, Travis Sutherland and uh, um, you know people who have no reason to fluff me up um, validating me and saying hey wow you know this is got a great voice or you know whatever uh but here's here's one thing yeah. I'll, I'll ask you because when people say that to you yeah and then with a sober mind isn't it so much beautiful and you sink it sinks in if somebody does, yeah. when somebody told me something like oh eric you did this when you were made when, when i drank 
it just went right to the ego, like, well, of course. Right, right. Yes. But but but, but when when you really humble yourself, yes, it's it's amazing because, I mean, even you that night you played that song when I said that was just truly amazing. It still resonates in my mind that that just was an amazing experience that moment, you know. And there's so much more real, I guess. Those, mm-hmm. You know, it's just real. Yeah, and yes, and I know what to do with it. It's right. not. I'm. Yeah. It's. It. It feeds a part of me that's that actually uses it for creativity. Yeah. 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 It's. Um, and. And yeah, it's not like it. It doesn't make me think. Oh, I've got it made now. Mm. It makes me think. Oh well, and the sobering up process. You know, it's like I've got a lot of work to do, and more than just I've got to take voice lessons, which you know I started doing. Um, you know, stuff like that is like I need to sober up so that I can be present and responsible and uh, um, capable when, you know, I need to play. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, uh... So yeah, as a, as in response to all of this input and support, um, basically I started um, uh, taking taking the band uh, and the performance a little more seriously, and realized you know the sort of the shortcomings that that the that the show as I had developed it uh, uh, carried with it and you know it's kind of um, the the message is is a sort of delicate one since it's a politically salient one you know it's mm-hmm. like basically um, talking about masculinity uh, and uh, um and feminism and trying to uh, talk about uh, um, yeah trying to talk about romance and stuff um, as a man but as a feminist and in kind of ironic ways Basically, it's a really delicate um, sort of message to try and convey. And uh, I started realizing that I needed to be a lot more precise in the way I presented it if I wanted to get that message across. Right. So my responsibility, not the audience's. You know, right, exactly. like when some woman walks up to me and like, like, what the hell are you, <laughs> what, you know, what gives you the right to say the word slut over and over and over again? talk about finger banging some girl at a bus stop you know you know we don't want to hear that right well you know trying to explain it to her then is you know that's a losing battle anyway um because i've lost her i haven't i didn't give her the chance to get the message that i've that i am conveying which she would get if she heard the whole thing right exactly uh so yeah, I started realizing like number one that that I needed to be uh more conscious about where I booked um that like trying to do an oral show in a a bar where you know that's not you know it's maybe a a a music club bar, but the people who are there aren't there necessarily to see the band you know they just want to be in a music club and talk with their friends right 
<laughs> they're not going to get the message. Right, they're not going to. They're not going to get the subtleties of of Earl's message. And I also needed to get more conscious about how I presented the songs on stage. So the little introductions I give to the songs, I needed to be a little more leading to let people know exactly what they were getting. And so, you know, over the course of time, I started to step up and actually improve the show. And, uh, um, you know, consciously write the little intros to the songs and... I started revising um, uh, the lyrics of the songs that I'd written three years ago or four years ago. Um, you know, these songs that I'd sang over and over and over again, and was they were fine as far as I was concerned. Right, <laughs> right, right. But, um, uh, and I started taking, uh, uh, going to some songwriting symposiums, and some songwriting workshops and groups and you know letting other people see my songs and critique them and you know you know especially the first few that I wrote <laughs> they're, they're so piss piss simple you know they're they're yeah they're like any anybody could write that song and musically especially but um um and you know there's a lot to critique about them and um I revised almost every song. There's a few exceptions, but very few. Well, that's that's like an artist going back over stuff. It's uh, never the way they want, or they make kind of make change. You know, it's just that kind of thing. And yes, that's and kind I, of the art and creativity. It's never just done. Right. You can always mess with it <laughs> and keep creating. And I basically the the new the new mindset and this new clarity that I had and this new perspective that I'm not just doing a goofy thing as a lark for myself. Right. I'm, I'm actually creating this like performance art piece (laughs) and, uh, and I have to start acting like an artist, just like what you're saying. Like I was just, farting around before but like if I want to make it into art really make it into art I need to treat it like art and to you know pay attention to it and revisit it and reshape it and And I don't want to steal from your story but just a comparison my whole thing was Mm. I jumped in that band that was playing all around for South by Southwest Mm. really I wasn't that great but I could keep the beat Mm-hmm. But now I'm still playing music. It's been a year later, and I'm in a band, and and we're just we're making music. Me personally, it's just the same thing. Art. I'm learning different styles of drum. Now I'm learning from the great jazz players and all these rock and roll drummers from the '60s and '70s, and learning all their styles. Mm-hmm. So it's that creativity and that juice, you know. Yes. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I, for me, it's beautiful. And I'm sure it is for you, too. And I was taking it for granted before. Yeah. I, you, know, I, yeah. you know, I wrote, where did the sluts go? And that's it, you know? And I wrote, yeah. you know, I've got nine fucks in my pocket and no one to love. Boom, it's done, you know? But, no, those songs weren't done. They needed work. Mm-hmm. And, and they're better now. They're a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, um. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, um, basically the last, uh, year and a half especially has been dedicated to sort of developing this this as more of a serious thing and you know once again um in the meantime um out of the blue um a friend of mine approached me and um told me about a good friend of his who's a director and he said uh told me that this director friend had approached him about an idea um doing a reality 
mock reality um, show about an aging rocker from the uh, 90s um, who is trying to revive his career and having to deal with the sort of like latent misogyny of his previous career and you know also all the issues about being a has-been and you know all this stuff aging and yeah. whatnot so Michael had said dude stop the presses <laughs> you know <clears throat> we don't need to do any writing or anything I've got a friend who's already developed mm-hmm. yeah not exactly this, but, but pretty freaking close. close to this. <laughs> if you want to deal with gender issues and you want to deal with whatever, like he's already doing all that stuff. Uh, so for the last year, um, we've been working on developing this mock reality show that Earl Potty Mouth Arbuckle is going to be the star of. <laughs> and how his um, uh, estranged stepson has come out of the woodwork um, uh, and decided to try and see and find what happened to Earl Pottymouth Arbuckle because nobody's heard from him forever. And he certainly hasn't seen him, so... Um, and his stepson has found a cache of old... Earl memorabilia that he'd saved from his life in this, you know, <laughs> this uh, fictional, fictional backstory that, that um, Earl married his mother when he was rising to fame and ended up kind of abandoning her when she fell ill and and ended up dying um, a, a swift and tragic death, and Earl just abandoned the stepson and 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 her and and went off on his career and ended up just crashing and burning uh so it was all for naught um so um this stepson's uh grandfather has died who you know this grandfather and and grandmother raised him when his his mother passed and so his grandfather has passed and he's helping his his grandmother downsize and she uh uh, helping her downsize, and she uh, uh, didn't tell them that she didn't tell Michael that she'd saved all this memorabilia, and, and so he comes across it and and realizes that he's got this new uh, a new project for his life is to 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 make a documentary and find his 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 stepfather and and see what he's been up to, and basically um, which will find Earl. Um, right before he's diagnosed, so okay. the story will start right before the whole, all the music and okay. everything happens. So right the idea is to sort of un- unveil the the Earl story that I've kind of uh, that I sh- give in the show and have sort of outlined a little bit here. Um, I'll sort of tell the whole Earl story in real time, unreal real time. Unreal real time. <laughs> yeah, fake real time. <laughs> well, that's awesome. It's awesome. We're going to have many conversations. Yeah. All right. There's a thin line between a cowboy and a deadbeat. One day you're riding on your high horse and the next you're dead meat. You stumbled into a mansion, but inside you're from the streets. Today you're swaddling linen, but yesterday's rain came down in sheets. How you measure the measure of a man says more about you.
Their wealth is in money, but mine's made up in friends. Memories are my estate, paying high dividends. Tailored suits, I'll couture, make up their wardrobe. But they couldn't replicate my style if they scoured the goddamn globe. respect her sex. Compassion is my motto. Kindness is my reflex. My eyes are full of beauty. My thoughts are full of joy. But if I don't worship their hateful God, they'll brand me as Satan's toy.